Hello, and welcome to Two Day Dream Believers podcast. Um, this week, uh, we are continuing all the other ghosts discussion. This particular podcast was recorded earlier um, for the other podcast I was doing, and we are no longer doing that podcast anymore. So we are bringing all of the all the other ghosts discussions over to TBD, which is super exciting. Um, so I didn't really edit much. It's still going to reference the old podcast. Um, it's not a thing anymore. Everything's going to be here. Um, after chapter four, it will be um, the regular TBD podcast stuff. So you won't hear my lovely introductions every week. But for now, I hope you sit back and enjoy and uh, have fun with chapter two. Hello. Hi. Hi, we are back with our All the Other Ghosts reread this week. Um, if you haven't been following us, uh, two weeks ago we did we started reading All the Other Ghosts uh, by Rainjoy, a Glee fanfic that is an AU and it's where they are all superheroes. Um, this week we are jumping in to chapter two, but before we do that, let's do a quick little recap. What happened in chapter one? Oh, I love recaps. Do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about what happened in chapter one, Bethany? Put no. On spot. no. <laughs> I want you to do it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, basically, Chapter 1 is an introduction to our characters that we know from the show, but, you know, kind of get revamped a little bit for this uh, particular fanfiction. Um, we've got Kerb Hummel, who is New York's resident ghost. He basically has the ability to ghost through objects and become invisible. And he is out superheroing, and he's stopping superhero supervillains and helping, you know, take down crime in New York City. Uh, meanwhile, his life, his personal life is kind of a mess. He lives with his roommate, Rachel Berry, who she, he knew from high school. Um, he is a fashion designer, and his half-brother or stepbrother, Finn Hudson, is a police officer. Uh, when we first meet him, um, he's kind of, he's doing okay with the superhero stuff, but his life is just kind of, you know, not great. Mm-hmm. He's doing so much superheroing. It's kind of catching up to him. Meanwhile, we have the young and plucky Blaine Anderson, (laughs) who is, we don't know much about him yet. Um, He lives with his brother, Cooper, who's an actor, and he just moved to New York because he is the ghost's number one fan. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at when he... And that's what you missed on Second Breakfast Club. And that's what you missed on Second Breakfast Club. And all the other ghosts. Okay, cool. So today we are doing chapter two. And um, we start out with Blaine again. I wonder how many of these chapters start out with Blaine. I feel like a lot of them do. That's a good question. And I want to say a lot of them, actually. Um, It's definitely... I mean, they, they both have... They're, they're, it's told in both of their POVs, but I feel like Blaine is a little bit more, because he's a little bit more um, open with his emotions, we mm-hmm. kind of get a little bit of a better sense of what he's feeling through the thick than with Kurt. Kurt is right. a little bit more guarded with his emotions. I also think that Blaine is also more the audience in point to this world. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, because, like, Kurt... And we'll learn a little bit more about Kurt's backstory in this chapter, but Kurt is really 
you know, he's already been superheroing for a long time and he's already been out there doing things. And Blaine has kind of, you know, just gotten to New York. So, mm-hmm. like, the audience has just gotten to New York. So, we're kind of like exploring this brand new territory with Blaine. So, it makes yeah, that's, sense. That's a really good point. Um, and also, because the audience is such a big part of the story and Blaine feels like he's part of that audience, mm-hmm. like, it, it, you know, connects the reader with Blaine maybe a little bit more. Not that you're not connected to Kurt at all. I'm just saying a little right. bit more to Blaine. And I, you know, and I bet you as, and like, we'll have to keep a look on it as we go on. Um, it, you do get into Kurt's head quite a bit. Yeah, yeah But at this beginning point, it makes sense to have an entry point character and Blaine is a great character for that. Right, exactly. So, um, we have Blaine. He's all dressed in black in a ski mask and probably looking pretty creepy with his hoodie and ski mask and elbow pads and <laughs> right wandering you know, around the city <laughs> this made me think of what kurt's first nights looked like like what did he wear before he had the suit do you think he just he started the he got the suit and then he just started you know what i mean uh, I, thought yeah. about this. I gosh i do think he'd be a little bit more stylish than plain well um, yeah. i do think he'd take that into account um but yeah, it's probably, you know, just like Blaine in this first time, you know, he probably wasn't good at it. No. Um, we do get flashbacks in here somewhere, or it might be in the sequel Gray, but I do know that we get some conversation about his early mm-hmm. days, but I don't remember when it was, so. Right. <laughs> Nor what he really said about it, but it just made me think, like, you know, what silly thing or weird thing did Kurt do at the very beginning that he doesn't do anymore or yeah, exactly. you know what did his did, did he have an earlier suit that doesn't look like he has now the one he has now Just right I mean about it all superheroes have um have suits upgrades I mean mm-hmm. that's just right. part of the comic exactly. genre so exactly. I'm sure Exactly. And this, you know what, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional. I didn't read. I know Rain Joy talks a little bit in her conversations with people that comment. I don't know what comics she reads, um, but she is at least aware of Spider-Man and his lore a little bit because there's a little bit of Spider-Man-esque stuff. Yeah. Well, just like this very, very basic Blaine um, thing is kind of like the very first, you know, costumes mm-hmm. Peter Parker wears. But also at some point, the ghost it says, um, I think it's even in this one. Oh yeah, it says it says, uh, yep, just our friendly neighborhood ghost and and Spider Man's mantra. Like the the people of of um, New York all mention it's your friendly neighborhood Spider Man. Is um, he used to write that on notes? <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. So I mean, I always got <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I didn't read a lot of comics, but when I was younger, I was obsessed with Batman, and I watched all of the, like, um, Batman cartoons things, mm-hmm. and the the outfit that he's wearing actually reminded me a lot of Batman in, I oh, think, yeah. Mask of the Phantasm, I want to say. That's what Batman wears when he first goes out. He even has, oh. like, a beanie on his head. See, so I got that from him, too. She's so good with with comic icon- iconography. Yeah, that's it, I think. That it doesn't surprise me if she just takes little pieces from mm-hmm. various comic books. But she's very well, like, she knows her genre. And that's why yes. this particular story feels to me more like a comic book story than it does, like, a Glee fanfic. Which yes. is why I'm doing it. Because I I think, again, 
um, the more we go on, the longer we're going to divorce ourselves from that original show. So yeah, for sure. It's, it's very, hmm, how do I want to say this? It's kind of like you just plucked the best things that you liked about Glee and you put it in an, an even better quote unquote story. You know what I mean? Right. Well, a more, a more coercive, not coercive, a more coherent cohesive. story. Cohesive. Thank you. Yeah. Cohesive would be something <laughs> well, totally different. Um, <laughs> a more cohesive story, that's for sure. Um, so anyway, we got Blaine. He's out. And I, I like one of these little things. It said, when, does, when the hell did New Yorkers get so nice? And that cracks me up because... Rainjoy, I love you if you're listening to this. However, you don't know New York very well, but however here, but however here, um, there New York had this reputation for being really awful in the 70s, 80s, and 80s, and they have since cleaned up. Like it does feel a lot safer. And all of the times that I've been to New York, it has felt. I mean, obviously there's still like crime out in New York City. That's not a you know, but it doesn't feel like the, people talk about it being dirty and gritty and everything. And I don't get that. And um, some friends that I have that live there at least say, you know, no, it's not as bad as it was in the seventies and eighties. So I right. do think this, this comment's kind of funny because yeah, I do think that um, New York has gotten a better reputa- reputation throughout the years. So right. I will say there is a definite, and I don't want to go too far on this because it's too much of a tangent, but there's a definite speed and feeling about New York like it's very fast paced mm-hmm. but every time that I've been there I mean I remember getting lost on the subway and this very sweet older woman like helped me find the way I, way I needed to go back like mm-hmm. it's really not as mean and gritty as people want to say it is well and I will say that like from what I know from people I've talked to back in the 70s and 80s it did have a mm-hmm. definitely different reputation so right. even um, into the 90s really yeah so New York has cleaned up its act. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, but I just think it's funny. Also, if you're not, like, if you're just an average kind of person and you're doing your own thing and you're keeping yourself in, like, mm-hmm. you know, well-known parts of the city and whatever and just walking down the street, you're not going to probably find, you know, the crime that's out there. I think that there's a lot of things that are underground or there's a lot of things that, you know, you have to be looking for. Right. Um, you know, we there was... <laughs> There was one time I went to visit a friend and um, a few blocks from where he lived, he would walk by and he's like, see that barbershop right there? I said, yeah. He's like, I'm pretty sure that's a front because nobody has ever been in it and people go in all the time, but nobody's ever getting their hair cut. Like, oh my God. You know, but at the same, like if you're just an average person walking by and not really thinking about that stuff, like you would not ever really notice. I mean, right. you probably wouldn't go down there because it does not look like an inviting part of the city. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's not something you'd t- whatever. There's a right. dime dozen of barbershops around, so who cares exactly. what that would be? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, anyway. So, anyway, um, it makes sense that Blaine is walking around and he's not really finding any kind of things to right. help with. Because so. he's probably sticking to his comfort zone area, too. Yeah. He's walking around the edge of um, Central Park at this okay. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, eh, I mean. Right. Hmm. Um, but anyway, somebody, this, this cracks me up just as a visual, cause I can't really see this, but somebody whizzes by on a bike and steals his phone. Um, I, okay. But I get it. She, what she's trying to do is demonstrate his, his power. And so Blaine throws up a shield and knocks the guy over. And uh-huh. then I love that Blaine's immediately like, oh crap. I didn't mean to like break his neck in the process <laughs> right. of you know stopping him. Wait a minute. Um, and I think that's kind of, um, 
explain in the story, it's like act first, think second sometimes. Yes. Yes, I can definitely agree with that throughout the entire story and really into the second one as well. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if that's, I do think that's a little bit blatant canon as well, though. I do think he kind of. Really? I don't know if I necessarily see that, but that's just a difference of opinion. Not, well, no, not to the extent, though. I think that there's sometimes, but not, not to the extent that's definitely in the story. I will say that. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, and I love that, you know, somebody just handed back his phone and other right. people didn't see it. And <laughs> I love, I love makes, oh, go ahead. No, go, I was just going to say, I love that it's like our friendly neighborhood ghost stuck his foot out and it's just like, yeah, that's probably what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what happened for sure. I just like that the phone's fine. <laughs> yeah. she went out of the way to put in the detail that the phone is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So that's kind of the first opening scene of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second little segment is actually, you know, she gave us an introduction of it. And now we get to have a conversation about Blaine's powers. I actually love the um, the way she does that. Like she, I know we talked about this in the first chapter, so I won't spend a whole lot of time with it. But like she'll introduce something and then she'll explain it. And then she'll introduce something and then she'll explain it. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's a very... It's very um, filling and fulfilling to the story. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, we're not just going to talk about, it's not going to just, we're not going to see about this and then it's never going to be mentioned until four chapters later when they're like, oh, remember when that happened? No, it's like really fleshed out and I really enjoy that. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about plain shields a little bit. Um, they are translucent green which is intentional. I, I like that she makes a point to, because the green is going to go, the green and the black is going to go well with the white of the ghost. Yes. And just like, you know, what I can appreciate the costume people on the actual show of Glee, I appreciate that she went out of her way to make complimentary mm-hmm. uh, powers and costume designs and, um, in the way that I think the shows Kurt and Blaine are very matched, well yes. matched, I think that this this fix Kurt and Blaine for all their differences from canon are very well matched as well. Yes, I would agree with that. So, so yeah, um, you you, it's kind of funny. I think she like in every comic book, she kind of plays fast and loose with some of the more finer details of both mm-hmm. of their superpowers, but um, that's kind of a comic book thing anyway. Ask me someday about Scarlet Witch's powers. Like, <laughs> what the hell are they? I don't think Marvel even knows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Blaine has these shields, and, you know, he can make a shield around himself. He can make a lot of them. He can stand on them. Um, he can, like, run and throw them up like a pathway, um, they're pretty strong. I mean, it doesn't later on, it's not in this particular chapter, but she, he talks about, um, he drives, tries to drive a car through it. And that apparently made him a little tired. Um, uh, but for the most part, it's a pretty strong, like shield yeah. that he's creating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't crack. It doesn't seem to, so I don't know. I don't know what, I don't read what. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say we're going to use comic book logic and say whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> I remember when I first read this, um, before it got going further and I had continued to read it, I was like, where do they go? Like, where 
when he's done with them, where do they go? Do they just... Oh, yeah. So before I was like, because they're super strong. So how, where do they go? I mean, eventually she does talk about it. But I'm like, do they just kind of fall down and then he's done with them? I think they just disappear. They just disappear. Yeah. She says in... something about later. Okay. She explains it later. It's a while later, but he, she does explain it. Yeah, it's not... I mean, I give her credit for being so creative and so thought out about a lot of these, but sometimes there are places where she's a little vague, and that's fine, because, like I said, I mean, they do that in regular comics. Right. They, a lot of times, people's... Um, it's a big thing in comic books to play... Uh, whatever the plot needs is what the powers are, so I'm not sticking on the point very much right. that it does change a little bit. Like, I do have... I'm like what are his power limits? Like, could he actually withstand a falling building or, right. you know, would it be, you know, what could be, but they, she never really needs to test that out. So. Right. That it's fine. The point is the, the purpose of it is that he, he is somebody who protects and that right. is the, the big key. It's part of it. The personality. And um, a part of, of Blaine's personality, too. So that's mm -hmm. definitely something that she calls back to, which I really enjoy. Right. Um, it's interesting because he gives a little backstory on himself about, you know, he grew up in Ohio and there really weren't superheroes before. So, like, it's like, what the heck is this? But he sees the ghost and we get a little bit of ghosts backstory um, and talks about like the year he Blaine was a freshman was when Kurt started doing the ghost stuff. And um, he talks specifically about this um, famous picture that was taken that I think it is mentioned in the first chapter, but um, it's basically a ghost coming out of a burning building with people. And it, and it was something that inspired him. And it's something when like he started having these powers He's like, okay, I got to keep going. I got to help. I got to get to New York. I got to, et cetera, et cetera. And this, this whole notion, you know, that Ghost was this heroic person pulling people out of this burning building was, you know, one of the big foundations for Blaine coming to New York and being the person that he is. Yes. Because he also has these powers and he knows that he needs to get there to help as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. But... Yeah, so um, I just want to make a point of that now because it does come up a couple times later. And it, not only does it fill in the ghost backstory, but what she said, like what you were saying earlier, Bethany, is that she mentions something early on and then she'll flush it out later. Right. And she'll do that a little bit better, or not better, a little bit more later on in the chapter. But it is worth mentioning now. Um, the only other thing about this little part is that I just think it's funny at the very end, it says no re news report citing that the newly escaped Noah Puckerman in two days. And I think that's the first time they mentioned Pugzilla by his, by his name. Yeah. Like we know who that is because we know who Pugzilla is, but you know what I mean? Like we don't exactly, we don't know that or we, that's his first time that we know that that's his first name. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. And we'll talk more about Pugzilla in a few pages when we get to Pugzilla. <laughs> <laughs> But I also think it's so funny that it says um, he has plenty of time to reach the island by now, as if, like, New York is some little, like, England island off. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an it's island. Not. It's an island in that it's surrounded by what is known as water. But it's not really an island in that <laughs> that kind of gives the idea that it's, you know, beautiful and lush and 
that's just not how it is. <laughs> or that there's a lot of water separating this and the other landmass. Right. It's like, like you, you can, can walk, walk. across the... <laughs> right. And I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> you can't, and I have walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. It's exactly. not hard. It's really, I mean, it'd take you a couple hours, but it's fine. Like... <laughs> It doesn't. It takes like forty-five minutes. Yeah, I was to gonna say it doesn't even take that. Brooklyn Bridge to the other. I was gonna say because yeah. I did the Golden Gate Bridge and that took like two hours because that's a couple really? miles. But yeah, but yeah, we um, we went we walked all the way across it and then we took a bus back because we didn't want to walk back. <laughs> I can understand that, but anyway, it, it's like where was he coming from upstate? Right. <laughs> right. Maybe Washington D.C. I don't. know. <laughs> Like, where was this jail that he broke out of? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry we enjoy that we, we we understand. Like, I couldn't write a story about Europe and be right. Right, so. it would be awful. And yeah. I would get lots and lots of lots of things wrong. And you got lots and lots of things right. So Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, um, then we get the next scene. Oh, and if I, at any point, like, if you have another point you want to make, please stop me. Oh, yeah. I'll do that. Okay. I'm not afraid to interrupt you. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we roll yeah, exactly. on this podcast. Um, so the next scene is Kurt at work, and we get this whole conversation. Sophie is his boss, but she's not the boss boss. She's like, she's kind of like Isabel, actually, I would think. Yeah. Except for she's definitely not Isabel. No, she's not Isabel in any way. I mean, you know, everybody's got a boss, and she has a boss, but... It's definitely like she's lower on the totem pole than the boss, but higher than Kurt. Right, exactly. So, um, so we have this conversation about women's clothing because this comes up a lot in Kurt's story, more so early on. I don't think she does it as much. There isn't as much conversation about this kind of stuff later. I think a lot of that will get transferred to the fandom stuff, actually. Yeah, and he doesn't really, like, once the story really gets going, he's not talked about at work very much at all. No, his, not really. His main job is being the ghost. Exactly. Well, and it becomes, like, right now we're definitely setting up the world of Kurt and Blaine, but once they get more screen time together, it becomes more about their dynamics and their yes. dynamics as superheroes and less right. about the personal life of the, that other aspect of their lives. Right. Anyway. Like their personal, personal lives. Right. Um, so they're talking about, uh, clothing and we get this, um, this has always stuck out to me. Um, the conversation about women's clothes, not having pockets, which I think we all women can agree. We want our freaking yes. pockets. However, the answer is not a freaking superhero utility belt. <laughs> no. no, it's not. I mean, I like that he basically, he kind of says why we don't get pockets. It's because they want to sell us purses. Right. So like, and then they sell us purses so they don't put pockets in things. Like, I like that he says that and he's like, and he calls attention to it. And that's definitely yeah. something that I could hear Kurt from the show saying too. Right. Exactly. So it's a very, it's a very good, um, what's the word I want to use? Like. It's a very it's a very good way of connecting the two characters, I guess I should say. Yeah. Well, and I think it also something that I really appreciate that Rain Joy does is she brings in a lot of conversation about women and their place in the world and the reality is that of being a woman that you don't get from a man's point of view because you don't because men don't I don't want to say they don't get it, but even Kurt in this particular, you know, conversation 
like Sophie's like, well, you know, you know, suggests a couple things here and there too that Kurt doesn't even get. You know, like, right. like you know, have you ever tried to hold like all the stuff that's in a purse? Could you imagine wearing that around your hips? That would get really heavy. And and she says. This is partly an innuendo, but um, she's like, have you ever tried that? Like, carrying all that heavy stuff in a bag. And part of it's, like, another dig on Kurt's femininity. Mm -hmm. But um, he's like, no, you're right. I haven't. I don't know. Um, So the other thing is that he says in here, and this is is where I think the canon counterpart is really rooted in season one and two. And and, because this definitely is a thing that changes but i want to read a little bit of this um he thinks about this oh this was part of his like he's thinking about his interview for the fashion designers that he's working for and he says fashion is politics what you put on what you put on your body is how you present yourself to the world and to yourself who doesn't want to feel safer and stronger and bolder everything is war paint every article of clothing speaks and sometimes you need to wear something that yells i'm here and i'm strong yes Season one, Kurt, with a little bit of season two, Kurt mixed in. Yeah. But by even mid-season three, he's just down some more masculine-looking clothing. And that's just not... Because his, I don't know, outer self is catching up with his inner self. He doesn't Mm -hmm. feel the need to be so bold with his fashion statements. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, nor am I trying to say that being effeminate is wrong or be you know whatever it's not absolutely but i'm just saying when you're comparing it to the canon counterpart it takes right. a left turn i can't remember who says this so if it was you i'm very sorry and let me know and i'll give you credit but it's like um i remember reading something about how season one or season two kurt would wear five statement pieces whereas post season three kurt would wear one and make it stand out yeah, that was definitely not me because I don't do clothing matter very well. But well, I meant um, like a general you to our audience oh, as well. It's probably Snarky. <laughs> probably <laughs> it's probably our lovely friend Snarky Hag who does all of the. It's so funny because then she's she kind of jokes with him and like, are you going to start you know designing masks too? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. Okay, you so can be a superhero. Yeah, now that I I like the the mantra that she does it, it, more so early on, probably because it helps prop up Blaine's character a bit. She goes a lot on about be, be your own superhero, and we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about in the first chapter as well. Um, but all right, so uh, the secretary, I assume, June pops in and is like, "Hey, turn on the news." And like Sophie's like, "Really? Are you guys that bored out there that you're watching the news?" Um, Sophie is just sassy. Yeah. She is sassy. I'm trying to liken her to someone in the show, but she really is her own. She's really not. She's really, let's, you know, when I give her Ranger credit, I think that sometimes not all canon characters can match up to what you want to use them for. So letting an occasional, as long as it isn't dominant, um, I think it's fine to be honest with you. So I do think Isabel would have been an interesting choice, but Isabel wasn't created by the time she wrote this. So plus Isabel, I mean, when you do that, you almost have to give that person a little bit of a bigger role. And Sophie, this is, she's mainly in the beginning. Like she's peppered in a little bit more, but that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, Oh man, I have a thought that I'm going to hold on. We'll get through this and I'm going to ask you about something. Okay. Um, so the next part is, yes, yeah, so the lizard monster came back, which means Puckzilla is back. 
And Kurt is like, oh, my God, like, you know, I have to go out and um, stop it. But however, he's like, I got to get out of the situation. First right. of all, we have to mention Chandler, um, mm-hmm. which is funny because Chandler has a bigger part in this fanfic than he does on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He does. He does. Uh, Chandler was a one-off character in season three that kind of flirted with Kurt just to set up some Kurt and Blaine drama. But like, yeah, by the time you're watching season four and five, you kind of forgot he existed. And just to see him back again kind of cracks me because he's never mentioned again. Well, I guess he's offhanded mentioned once. But, but, But in the Tino's dream episode when Kurt and Blaine are played by Finn and Puck. That's, That's what true. Mentioned. It's not even by quote unquote real Blaine. Exactly. So, um, but you know what? I kind of like this version of Chandler. Um, mm-hmm. He's kind of awkward and weird and doesn't really get in the way and is a good side character for the lack. Cause they're really at this point in Canon, there's not a whole lot of good side characters that aren't already the, like she's got, she's got purpose for all the rest of the other side characters. So, mm-hmm. um, he makes for a good, like person to put in there. Right. Um, anyway, so Kurt is like, okay, I have to get out of here. Then he kind of pretends to be like the scared kid from Ohio mm-hmm. who like goes in on himself and is pale. I mean, and then he says, I'm always pale, but like, <laughs> and, and kind of plays it down. And I kind of feel like it's like the whole Superman and his glasses thing, because yes, Ghosts, and it's an issue I just have with people when you don't really think about Chris Colfer's physique, who's the actor on the show. But, like, um, he was never a scrawny, small guy, ever. And even if you are being the ghost, he probably has built up quite a bit of muscle. Yes. And so I can't imagine... I can understand, like, at this point, this particular Kurt is wearing a lot of things. So I'm guessing his fashion choices can help, like, make that seem like he's much thinner or much weaker, you know, than he really is. But Um, do you really think that Kurt would want to hide that? Like, that's what I can't reconcile in my brain, okay? So, and I don't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Yes, you do. Jeez, jerk. (laughs) Go ahead. I was just gonna say, so like even season one, season two, Kurt, if that like to use that same analogy, it's still gonna show off what he has. Not really. I mean, like because about on the other podcast that there's a voiceover where he says, "My, uh, I would do anything to not take my clothes off. I would yeah. not take showers at school. I kept wearing, you know, the clothes at school. Like I would not show off any skin." Um, but that's kind of my point. Like, do you think, well, I don't know. Like, do you think if Kurt had looked like he did then when he was in high school, if he would have had more confidence? Or do you think it was just a high school Kurt thing? You see what I'm saying? But I don't think he looked, like, I still think he looked like high school Kurt in high school, even in this version. Okay. That makes okay. sense. Like, yes, I don't think he's. But I also think, like, and we'll get into what happened with Kurt psychologically, because it's much different than what happened on the show. So I think Kurt is, I really hate to say the word damaged, but I think more traumatic things happen to him in this fic than in the show. And on top of that, he did not have the same friend infrastructure that he had 
on the show. So nor, nor did he get the same resolution to those issues that he got on the show. Exactly. So I think as we kind of talked about in the first episode, this version of Kurt takes a left turn early season two. Mm-hmm. And he remains that kind of person that he was in early season two, the rest of high school and into and develops into something else completely by the time he gets into college. Okay. Yeah. Does that I make can sense? See that. Yes. Very so, much so that's kind of how I reconcile a lot of the changes in Okay. I kind of think that Blaine brought out some of his masculinity. Does that make sense? Like yes. when he started having sex and, and feeling like more comfortable being a man. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't, I mean, that's the reason I'm going to cut it out. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not trying to diminish what being a woman is like right. um, where I think Rainjoy in this particular version is kind of marrying the idea of Kurt's more effeminate side attributes mm-hmm. when the character definitely went in a more masculine route. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. And I, I think I agree with you. Um, Insofar as I think Blaine kind of brought that part out of him that he hadn't been really know was there. Does that make sense? Like, yes, it was there, but and it's not Blaine specific. It's being in a relationship, too. Yes, that's what I and I do think I have to notice how the changes are in this um in this fic, because I do think the Kurt in this fic changed, not this, more so in gray, but, um, he does change. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think he stays this character. Mm -hmm. However, I do think he retains the more feminine attributes because Rain Joy prefers writing them more feminine Kurt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. He figures out that he has to go. He has actually a bag that he keeps, and I feel like all super, I feel like a lot of superheroes do this. I know the Spider-Man really did this, um, had a bag that he mm-hmm. stopped and it worked in case he ever had to, you know, use it and get into his costume really quickly and stuff like that. So, and changes in a storage closet, kind of like Superman, mm-hmm. changing somewhere, takes off his glasses. Damn. <laughs> he, she even <laughs> says it. I just read it. Tie off and mask on. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's very Superman-esque. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So let's talk about Puckzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that have watched Glee, you guys know it's Noah Puckerman, who actually calls him Puckzilla himself Puckzilla on the show. Sometimes yeah. this, it was very easy coming up with some of the stuff. Um, and here he is a giant. He's not that giant. You know, I was reading the description again, and in my head, he was always like this really huge Godzilla like monster, but her description of him. He's not that big. No. Like, I don't even think he's much. He's bigger than Hulk. I think he's smaller yeah, than Hulk. Definitely smaller than Hulk, actually. I agree with that. He's got a tail, and he's he, like, bulks up. But she says that his pant, her pa- his pants have remained on, even Hulk, you know, bulking yeah. out. And so his T-shirt's torn ragged across his shoulder. So his T-shirt's still on, too. He didn't completely come out of that, either. Right. Um, but he goes green, um, which is kind of funny. I always kind of picture him as a gray color, but he's green like the Hulk. Um, and he's just kind of what you would picture, you know, like a big giant lizard monster. <laughs> yeah. If has, Have you ever watched the Rugrats? Did you watch that when you were yes, younger? Yes, I did. I always pictured him, pictured him kind of looking like Reptar. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I always pictured him as Godzilla-like, mm-hmm. like the classic Godzilla monster. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah. And he has broken out of jail and he has a bone to pick with Ghost because Ghost was the one that took him down the first time. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of wants to, you know, beat the crap out of Ghost. And I kind of like the interplay here because the ghost is so like, dude, we've been through this. Like, I'm not gonna stand here and let you beat the crap out of me. You need to just mm-hmm. like stop. So and yep. um and by the way, don't feel bad for interrupting me because I've just keep talking and like if you want to make a point, just jump in. <laughs> okay. Um but anyway, uh but yeah, he's got like all of these cars flipped around mm-hmm. and hold on. Kurt's a little worried because Finn is there yes. as a police officer. So he that's kind of on the back of his mind. Not to mention not like all of these police officers are everywhere, but um but yeah. And he's mentioned something about the reporters being there, too. And I didn't know if that was a call to maybe Rachel is there as well or just that it's all Mm going to be on TV. I think it's more so that it's all going to be on TV. Like, Mm -hmm. Ghost does not like to be the center of attention. He does not. That's why he can ghost. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, they kind of start this fight, which is, you know, I appreciate, even if it's not my favorite part of the story, I appreciate the effort that Rainjoy puts in to keep that superhero aspect. There are fights that mm-hmm. there are, you know, this is a classic supervillain versus, you know, hero type thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we do get a little bit more conversation about Kurt's powers. Um there are a few things that Kurt is susceptible. Uh, one of them is air. He still has to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the air is like clogged up, he, he can't do that. One of them is fire. He can't or temperature in general. Um, mm-hmm. If it's too hot or too cold, uh, it's going to still create a problem. And the third one is a taser. And I like that there's this little tidbit about like or just rescued. Oh. No, I was just going to say, or just electricity in general. Yeah. Yep, electricity in general. Um, and this woman, like, he found that out because a woman um, ta- tasered him after like, <laughs> he saved her. Right. Um, I like that little moment, though. I mean, it's an entire paragraph. But just because in most stories, like, you would cut that out because it's extra exposition you don't really need. But I like it here because it does kind of add another layer to his yeah. past. Like, at one point, he was... He didn't know that he was susceptible to electricity. And he found out kind of this embarrassing way. Mm-hmm. So... So, yeah, and Puck has started blowing up cars, and um, and so there's a lot of fire, there's a lot of people in danger, and he's also got a, a wire for, like, one of the power right. lines, and that's why Ghost is like, okay, well, um, under normal circumstances, um, it would be, he could just go up and he would ghost him, and we'll talk about what ghosting is in a second, but... Um, he can't with all of the fire and all the electricity around, like there's still ways right. he can be hurt. Exactly. And this is kind of, it's kind of interesting because Puck is not the brightest person on the block here. And get there. I, I like that they show that Kurt is not, or ghost is not completely invulnerable. Like there mm-hmm. are, you know, there's actual like thinking involved. Like he has to actually plan out what is his next move is and everything like that. Um, so here's a question. Do you think Puckzilla knows that he's susceptible to like No, I think he's just like, let's make a big explosion and like yeah. take as many people out. I don't think that Puckzilla knows how, um, but he knows that if he can make up, like, if he can just blow the shit up everywhere, like something's right. got to like, you know, and it's kind of a defense on himself because he's been ghosted before. So 
Um, he knows that if the ghost gets close, he could take him down. But if he right. has like fire and electricity and all this other thing, maybe like that'll stop him. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So then we get um, the introduction of Blaine coming in to kind mm-hmm. of just save the day, or at least he thinks he's going to save the day. Which um, uh, Kurt refers to him as groupie, which I think is hilarious. Well, not until later, though. But yeah. Oh, he doesn't do it here? I didn't oh. think so. Maybe not. You're probably right. I just. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely groupie later, though. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Puck calls him an interloper. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, like at one point, the car is exploding and really, okay, so this is what I kind of want to point out. And you can correct me if I'm, if I misread this, but I was under the impression that this chair, this car chair that was from the blown up car is coming at Kurt and he wasn't really like, he's like, oh crap. And it would have really kind of gone through him. Yeah. But at the same time, like he wasn't completely thinking about it. And if Blaine had not put up that shield, Mm-hmm. Kurt actually might have gotten hurt there. I think that's that's fair um, because you know Kurt has to know the ghost in order to do it. So if he's not, it's not that he's not thinking about it. It's like it's like it just surprises him. I guess I don't know, but I definitely agree with you. Like if he hadn't put it up, if Flanks had or Flanks, if Blaine hadn't put it up, then it could have hurt him. Well, here's the, okay. Um, the ghost springs forward, but he'd never be quick enough. He would never have got there in time, and he doesn't even need to because the tail strikes off one more of those green. Oh, that's later on. Yeah, that's later. Because Kurt's swinging, oh, not Kurt. Pugzilla is swinging around his tail, and Blaine is also blocking that as well. Right. So the other thing is that he starts to get Pugzilla's attention, Blaine does, which gives Kurt kind of like a shot and he's like oh okay this may be the break that i needed somebody else is paying attention to him and i like plane starts trying to just talk to him <laughs> right like you maybe you shouldn't be a bully and maybe you should be nice and this the thing that comes out the thing that comes out of this conversation though is that we learned some information about puck which mm-hmm. is that he has been experimented on right? and he was not originally this lizard monster, but something was done to him mm-hmm. and um, ghost picks up on that. And he's like, Oh, this guy is a victim too. Um, but you know, you shouldn't, you know, okay. He's a victim who's intent on taking his victimhood to another uh, out on other people. Um, where's that one line though? Oh, he doesn't have time for the intricate ethical. He doesn't have time for intricate ethical reflection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lives are at stake, yes. but yeah. And that is something that like, this is chapter two and a lot of fanfics that are this long. Don't always have a, coherent long game story but Mm -hmm. this one i mean this is the start of the underlining main story um right like in the second chapter in the second chapter we're already getting what the story well knowing what it is we know that this is foreshadowing but even when you don't know what's going to happen you're like oh i wonder if this is going to come up again because it's something that could you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this is one of those things. I 
it's just my experience and people can totally, I mean, obviously I've read a very, very small percentage of fanfic on the net. Um, but a lot of times with fanfics, like you do have smaller stories, but a lot of times they have to deal with relationships and even the longer stories have to do with relationships. And this is written like a novel would be written that there is a specific plot that is going on here. That's more than just the particular relationships between the characters. Right. Um, and it, again, it goes to that, you know, she writes it in a way that that's the end game of the story. And that's the way comics are. Like there's always going to be this big battle at the end that the heroes have to all fight. Cause that's what comics do. And you get that in the story as well. Spoiler alert, whatever. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've read it before. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't think we need to do spoilers because if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've read this story. So, um, but yeah, let's talk about Ghost's reaction to Blaine for the first time. And I'll let you talk for a minute. You go ahead. You're going to let me talk. Um, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say about it other than it's just like... He doesn't know, I mean, obviously he doesn't know who Blaine is, and we're in Kurt's POV, so he's like, um, what does he say? It cracked me up. I gotta find it, though. Um, he's got his hood up and some kind of ski mask underneath it. Amateur hero, groaning softly out loud. Like, ugh, is is this something else I'm gonna have to deal with today? Like, I don't want to have to deal with this. But then, it's like... Like, he he basically, I don't know if it saves is the right word, but definitely helps with his um, shields. So it's like, mm-hmm. huh. And then, you know, he's definitely talking to him. It's just a very, like you said, it's a very, um, uh, I, keep, I don't want to keep using the word fulfilling, but like a very cool way of introducing a new character but also through Kurt's POV. Yeah. I like that Blaine is awkward. I like that he doesn't come in and like automatically just save a day. Yes. He's awkward and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he gets, you know, the ending of the scene. Yes, he distracts Puxilla long enough for Kurt to sneak up behind him and ghost him. But he also ends up getting a head concussion at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Before we move on to that, though, let's really talk about ghosting for just a second. Which is Kurt's like, you know... Biggest power, you know. I feel like if there's a power set, this is like his special move or whatever. If you're like playing a video game and this is his like, you know, power move or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically puts his hand in in your head. Uh, to me, brain. I'm like, you could really like, for lack of a better word, fuck somebody's head up. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, really. Um, and according to this in this universe, what happens is that you get basically terrified um, to the point mm-hmm. of passing out. Um, Kurt had done it on himself. He said he, he didn't want to try something out on people without doing it to himself. And he uh, made himself pass out. But, um, basically it's a way to basically knock out your opponent automatically without, um, without brain damage, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know how that's possible, but again, it's a fictional world. So we can, you get to play fast and loose with, um, the physicality of all of it. So, yeah, I think that I'm trying to remember if Kitty Pride ever put her head hand in somebody's head. I know she's put it through her bo- like people's bodies. Kitty Pride of the X Men has the same power set, and she will put her face herself through people's bodies and basically say, "I will make myself whole, and it'll kill you." But um, does it induce uh, terror in her victims? No, it doesn't. It doesn't do like I. 
and it like again changes here and there too what actual effect it is but usually it's like I'll pull out your heart or I'll, you know, cut you with this knife or what, you know, something like that. But right. as far as I can tell, I, and I haven't read everything that she's been in, so I can't say specifically hundred percent, but, um, I don't think she's ever put her hand in somebody's head. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. So, but that's what ghosting is. So, um, he ghosts Puck, he goes down and then we're left with a rather concussed Blaine. Um, and, <laughs> And Kurt trying to help him. And, and, you know, automatically he's like, okay, we have to get out of here now. Because, you right. know, if we don't, you're going to get arrested. So, and he phases them down into the subway. I was just going to say, it also causes Puckzilla to turn back into Noah. Oh, right. That's right. Because Puck's powers, I forgot about this. It's kind of like... Like the Hulk, I guess is yeah, the best. I, it's that would be the best one I could liken him to as well. Mm-hmm. As far as my knowledge of uh, superheroes go, would be would be Hulk. Which is mm-hmm. why when I first read this, I thought like you, I really thought he got as big as the Hulk. Mm-hmm. But I don't but, think he does. No, he really kind of doesn't. So, all right, so we get into the subway, um, and yeah, like. Kurt's not happy about it. He's not happy that he has to help this guy out. Kurt, to a fault, actually, doesn't like to ask for help. No. And some guy coming on in and, like, trying to help out, he's like, yeah, no. I don't want you to do this. Like, if you're going to do this, do this. You know, first of all, he's like, no, you're going to you get killed. And then Blaine kind of spits back, you know, will you do this? And I can help people. And then mm-hmm. that's when Kurt's like, do it in the daytime when I'm not around. <laughs> <laughs> right. I also, and I I think this is a Kurt, mm, I don't want to say flaw, but something that Kurt does is he doesn't have a lot of, how do I want to say this? How do I want to say this and not get yelled at? Okay. He doesn't have a lot of patience for oh, people who are learning. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, like, he doesn't, he's not good at remembering that he also had to learn how to do this, too, and he made mistakes, so, like, he doesn't have, that patience factor isn't really there. Like, I don't think Kurt would make a great teacher. Oh, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I think also, apart with Blaine specifically, is that Kurt is used to being on his own, and there's a big part of Kurt's character in this especially, but I do think it's a little bit in canon as well. He has a hard time with intimacy with a better lack of word. Um, like he doesn't like people knowing him. He doesn't like Mm -hmm. letting people in that he likes being able to go invisible and hide himself from the rest of the world. And you know, I just picked up on a little bit and later on in the story, but, um, you know, he, kind of is under the impression that this is his, you know, blessing and his curse and he's stuck doing this. And it takes a long time for him to warm up to the idea, not to just let Blaine in, but to really let Rachel and Finn and even his dad and just let other people into his life, which he does learn to do. Um, But especially here, it's like, no, this is my thing. This is what I do. I have to do this because this is what I, you don't have to do this. Right. So, I do like 
there's this kind of running joke throughout this next portion while they're walking to the doctor, which we'll talk about Mike and Tina in a minute, um, where they talk about identities. I just think it's a, it's kind of funny where just, you know, he grabs a ski mask off and he sees Blaine and he's just like, wait a minute, what my, my secret identity. Right. And later on he'll have his ID and he's like, what kind of, you know, and then later on Blaine's like, maybe, you know, and trying to get more out of Kurt. And he's like, um, you know, I know what you smell like. I can blackmail you that way. Cause you know, I know how much you smell like now. And it's just <laughs> ridiculous. The whole, yeah. the whole thing. I, this part is a little bit, how do I put this? Okay. On the one hand, Kurt's rather angry about having to deal with Blaine. Yes. Especially when Blaine says, I'm your biggest fan. And that's when he's like, Oh God, a groupie, you know? Right. At the same time, there are all of these little instances, and I think this helps go a long way. Kurt can't help but he he finds Blaine attractive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yes. wow, he's not much, you know, he's my age. He's ridiculously cute. The uh, the ridiculous eyebrows thing. Like, it, it goes a long way because I think if she didn't make a point to put that stuff in there, I think that I would not get to the point where I would understand why Kurt would even bother right. with Blaine again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, I very much do. <laughs> um, one big point that she makes that this is a nod to canon and, um, is that Blaine takes his hand and Kurt is kind of – it. it I don't want to say it relaxes Kurt, but it's it's the first time that somebody's like genuinely held his hand in a long time or right. ever really, and that kind of settles with him. And that's like, oh, he's holding my hand. Wait, no, it, no, it. That they can't. I can't talk. I can't think like that. You know, I cannot think of this guy as like a good guy. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be professional. Um, so now personally, some of her jokes, quote unquote jokes here, I they kind of fall a little flat for me. Um, oh, really? Which one? Uh, there's kind of like the oh my god you're such a super villain mm. like, I don't think it's that funny um, but that's yeah. kind of her you know that is her way of showing Kurt is warming up to Blaine right um, even though he's definitely t- trying to not pay attention to Blaine's more charming and attractive attributes the next scene that we get into is they go to a doctor, and this happens to be Mike Ching and Tina Cohen Chang, who are on the show, and they were no definitely relation. a couple at the time. No relation, but in a relationship. Right. Um, and I, I like Mike and Tina here. I mean, Mike and Tina are kind of up for interpretation, especially at the point that she was writing this. Um, I do think they, they have a nice relationship on the show that definitely does not end as they're not end game on the show but um here it works for me i think they're they're perfectly well suited for each other yes. and mike is a doctor and tina is an artist mm-hmm. which i can definitely see from both of them mm-hmm. and so um at one point in the past ghost met Mike and Tina when um, Tina was getting roughed up by these guys and uh, Kurt stepped in and stopped them and walked Tina home. And um, Mike said, you know, you're, I'm a doctor. You are welcome to stop in at any point. And basically kind of like Mr. Conti in the first chapter where he gets coffee all the time. Mike is one of those people that if he has a problem, Mike doesn't ask questions. So right. there's a problem. He kind of does it, you know, that's what I was so. going to say. It's a, 
you can come here for anything and there's no questions asked. It's exactly. just a safe space for you to go. And okay. he mentions that in the first chapter, he has safe spaces all over the city. And this exactly. is one of those safe spaces. Right. Um, and yeah, we get more identity stuff. I, I, I just think it, the, the bits that are about Blaine not having a good superhero secret identity thing are just really kind of funny to me. So, yeah. Um, oh yeah. He said, um, this, this is an interesting nod to actual canon. We don't get very many of these ever. She does. She makes She kind of goes out of her way not to mention canon. So mm-hmm. the fact that he, she specifically cites that Blaine saying a guy saying, serenaded to a guy at the Gap, which actually happened on the show. <laughs> right. It's kind of funny to me, because I don't know if I even picture this Blaine doing that, but um, yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't really ever sing. Like, that's not even ever brought up. Right, exactly. So, I do understand it's always a joke, because it's even on the joke on the show where he said, I want serenaded, and, like, and I sang to a guy in the Gap, or whatever. Or I sang at theme parks was the line in the show, actually. But, yeah. Um. But yeah, you can tell Blaine is still kind of the just I'm gonna go try this thing and it, and it doesn't always work the way he wants right. it to. Right. He's also concussed, so he's probably doing some word vomiting that he might not do if he was not Oh yeah, I agree completely. Completely with it. He's not completely with it right now. Exactly. You know what I mean? So So <laughs> Oh my um, goodness. Well, and this, there's an interesting thing because basically Mike says, look, somebody has to stay with him. He really mm-hmm. shouldn't be on his own. And Ghost offers to do it. Um, I wish he had put in just like a beat where Kurt was like, there's a part of him that kind of wanted to do this because I it does feel a little weird that the Ghost has been kind of like, oh, I have to do this thing. Right. Um, and it doesn't make sense why he would ghost would leave just wouldn't leave Blaine with Mike and Tina since they offered. Well, this. he does. Blaine does say, "I have to. Go oh, I have home. to get home. That's my right. Brother will, my brother will call our mom." But I definitely, I still agree with you that there is a part of Kurt that still wants to do this, even though he's pretend like he's putting yeah. on a front that he doesn't want to. Exactly. Well, at the end of it, um, like Kurt says, anything weird and I haunt you, cuff you and leave you, understand? Mm -hmm. And then Blaine holds up his hands, innocent and blinking and increasingly delighted. And really, and he really, really needs to stop making him want to laugh. Like, just those big Blaine eyes. Eyes, yes. Yeah. The big puppy dog. (laughs) I don't do nothing to nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Which I can see Kurt like yes being enamored with you know mm-hmm. so that's what yeah i like that okay so the next scene they get into blaine's apartment and i like that kurt's first reaction is you know wow this a lot it, it, it is much nicer than the one that he and rachel share like he and rachel share this little shack of a little apartment mm-hmm. i'm so glad it's not the loft granted they didn't have the loft when they were when ranger came up with this chapter but I'm I'm kind of glad that it's this tiny kind of yucky space, whereas mm-hmm. Blaine's, you know, it's Kurt. I mean, sorry, Cooper is on a show, but I Blaine and Cooper are are of higher class, mm-hmm. and it kind of shows because like there's a view of the city from there where they are. There's you know this like sleek furniture everywhere, and that could just you know like it it is a little bit. Like, oh, this guy is definitely from a different... Right. 
A different tax bracket, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, like, kind of skimming through it. And, you know, um, the ghost is ghosting as they're walking. And uh, Blaine's like, are you still there? And he's like, right here. I don't know. It was just cute. Yeah. <laughs> My little fanficy giggles go there. <laughs> um. Then, so this is yes. The, okay, this is kind of interesting. Interesting because let's let me see your opinion on this because they get into well. First, Kurt is like, you know, he at some point in time he talks to. I have like five points I want to make and I feel like wanting to make them all at the same time. Okay. Let me try and do this in order. <laughs> First okay. of all, I'm, I am going to be jumping around just a little bit because there's a couple of things I want to hit in order. That's okay. First of all, um, he talks to Blaine about how a lot of his job is not just going up for super villains. Um, oh, that's what I wanted to come in and early sit way earlier on when we were talking about the history of ghost, um, Blaine mentions that when the fire stuff happened, nobody heard from him for a while, but then mm-hmm. after like, however long it was, he stopped two girls robbing a, a jewelry store and that must, you know, it's a nod to Brittany and Santana and how they were in the first chapter and there'll be a characters later on. But I just like that piece of history. Like that's when they, you first kind right. of get introduced to them. But anyway, that's not the point that I wanted to make here. Um, Kurt <laughs> mentions that there's a lot of sitting and there's a lot of. I, I like the description of like, there's a lot of, you know, making sure drunk people are okay and making sure people waiting for people's boyfriends to show up and waiting for like the police to show up. And there's a lot of sitting and a lot mm-hmm. of waiting. And this is not, you know, most of the time it's probably not in somebody's bedroom. Um, right. And I get the opinion that, that Kurt doesn't actually go into people's houses very often. No. But a lot of it is sitting, but um, yeah. So he goes into Blaine's, house and he's a little bit like it's it is kind of a weird thing when the first time you go to somebody else's house and you see their life and you know there's three different cereals in there and you know this is how they do this and this is how they do that and it's just such a different thing and i I like that little detail it's not really relevant to the story but um i don't know i just like that like nod to like this feels when you're in somebody else's space like your space feels comfortable to you but when you're in someone else's um, it, it just feels weird a little bit, the first, mm-hmm. especially the first time. And that's definitely yes. what Kurt's feeling. And that feeling, though, is it kind of am- amplified when he gets into Blaine's room. Yes. And Blaine's room has all of this Kurt memorabilia all around. And that yeah. is kind of like Kurt's just like, oh, God, oh, God. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, so I'm, could- I was just wondering what your opinion was of that first reaction. I'm not sure if I have like an actual opinion about it. I just think kind of like what you said, like, you know, you Blaine doesn't really see it. Well, he does. How do I want to say this? Hmm. Like, I can't, I can't even imagine. Like if somebody came into my space and the person that I had all over my walls was that person, I would be so mortified. And, like, Blaine just doesn't really... It's just, like, his comfort zone. He doesn't really even think about it all that much. He also has a con- head concussion, though, so that could be part I of it, too. I think also it's kind of an interesting, because if you were... Let's say you were... 
I don't want to use a real life person, but let's say you are a celebrity of the Brad Pitt type. Okay. Mm -hmm. You are probably aware that you have a lot of fans and you have a lot of people who see you as a sexual object, as an inspiration, as a hero, as a whatever they, whatever. I don't think that celebrity life ever gets a hundred percent used to that. But at the same time, if Brad Pitt walked into a 16 year old girl girl's room and saw all these pictures of him up there, I don't think that would be as weird as if, like I myself had a bunch of pictures of you everywhere. Like right. if you came into my house and I had just a bunch of photos of you. You are not a famous person. I right. think that you would probably want to call the cops at the point. Um, <laughs> so there's a line and, and Kurt does mention like he, he does not do the, like we'll find out later, especially um, Blaine does the blogging and stuff. Kurt does not. He Googles every once in a while, but he can't do uh, like, uh, the, fandom. The, the fandom there's articles labeling him as dangerous criminals and then there's the goddamn fan fiction and he just right. doesn't want to know you know and so he knows that there is a fandom out there that's why he makes the groupie jokes but he would rather not know about it which is probably healthy um so i think it gets less awkward after Blaine starts to know Kurt as a person and as they start like understanding each other as people. Yes. That's actually but, what I was going to say. Like once the story goes on and, and the kind of the shine of the ghost wears off for Blaine, then the, he's still going to be the one that's always going to take, be in the fandom and kind of check up on it and blog, but he's not, you know, going to have posters of the ghost all over his room anymore. Right. Exactly. And, you know, Kurt actually makes him keep it up. Um, because yeah. he's like, you, you, we don't want your personality to be changing yeah. because they don't want Cooper to find out. Right. Um, but the other thing is like, um, when they, you know, earlier on Kurt makes like, Oh, you're such a little stalker in a playful tone. And then he walks in and he's like, God, you're such a little stalker. And it, right. it's still kind of a joke, but I, I don't know if it lands well with me just because I'm like, it is, it can be creepy, but like you're trying to sell these two in a potential romantic relationship. It does feel a little unbalanced at this point. And I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it, but um, I think I tend to agree with you. I'm not sure if the second one lands. Um, yeah, I would agree. It's kind of like whenever, I don't want to say that, but anyway, it's just, it doesn't really land. Yeah. I do like the part where he, Blaine's like, well, you can trust me. And he's like, no, I can't. I met you four hours ago. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but Blaine does say, you know, you already know way more about me. And I do like, I think this was earlier on, he, Blaine mentions he's from Ohio and then he's never done, you know, and that gets Kurt's attention. Like when mm -hmm. Blaine starts being honest about the type of person he is. And I think Kurt knows people enough to know that Blaine is not, well, what, and it's actually in a later chapter that, that Kurt will say, you know, if somebody designed a perfect person for me, they, they did well. And like, if this is a superhero, like villain plot, they, they created the very you know person to get under my skin um right. but we'll get more into that i think in the next couple of chapters but mm -hmm. once we get out of this kind of awkward like introduction stage it, it, it a lot of the stuff lands better for me but this stuff just a little right. back and forth on right and honestly i don't know what 
how do I want to say this? I don't know what she could have done differently. So this is just what it is. You know what it I is. mean? Like, yeah. And I'm like, I want to say this is a minorish thing. There are also yeah. things like later on, I guess I'll bring this up right now, but later on, like Blaine will harp on, like, you can trust me. You can trust me. And Kurt's like, no, no. And it's very repetitive to the point where you're like, okay, dude, back off. And right. I don't think that's what Rain Joy is intending. I think that's just her style. Um, right. So when we get to some of those parts, when it feels a little too excessively pushy on Blaine's side, I want to point them out maybe just to say, like, look, this is just Rain Joy. Like, I feel like this is her intention. I understand that it may read a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just she has a, a, a style that gets repetitive sometimes. And yes, like if you were an actual author, I mean, she might be, I don't know, but like she could be an author. But like if you're have you know, an editor, a good editor would have cut that down. Like here, you only need one instance of this. You're pounding this into the pavement a little bit too hard. So. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I what. She's doing just a tad here, but not to the point where it's, I'm, I mean, I'm just nitpicking tiny little things. So right. um, if you're reading it for the first time, I'm sure most of it's probably not going to. Um, so um, the last point I kind of want to make, though, um, is that, you know, he's looking over the room and he sees, this is something I think she does very well. He sees, uh, Kurt sees the same picture that Blaine was thinking about at the beginning of the mm-hmm. fire. Yes. And it gets into his memory of what happened. And we get this really like there descriptive of the burning building and the firefighter that helped him and the fact that he kept going in for more and he felt dizzy and you know all of the things this chaotic craziness and it's such a it's a memory versus a description of what happened with like Blaine described what he read in papers, whereas Blaine or Kurt's remembering it. And the juxtaposition of it is kind of crazy, but it's really, really fascinating at that. What you may, you know, this experience that you may read about can be totally different when you're experiencing it yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now there is something that I wanted to bring up because I don't know when I first read this, okay, so Blaine, Kurt is having this memory. It's not saying that he's saying anything out loud. Right. But then Blaine says, I read about that. Like, and when I first read this, I was like, well, maybe Blaine can read thoughts too. Like if in a very small kind of way, I don't, but it's never really brought up again. No, I don't think it is. I think like, have you ever like... Let's say you came to my house and you're looking at my, my room and then you like you fixate on like a picture in my room. Like, let's say you're looking at a picture okay. of my family and you're yeah. just fixating on it. And, you know, then I'd be like, oh, hey, well, that's the summer that we went to camp. Yeah. You know, OK, so you can kind of pick up on people. And I'm guessing Kurt's like looking around and then he fixates on that picture and he's got this memory and he's thinking about all of that chaoticness. And, and that is the part, I mean, it, this, this particular incident is going to come up again and again, because it kind of haunts him because it's the time when he almost really legitimately died. And, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, he's, that's, I can see Blaine picking up on that, just being empathetic yeah. enough to be like, Oh, well, you know, I read about that. That was great. Mm-hmm. And, and I, lo- I love this part of it where Blaine says, you know, it's the previous thing I've ever heard anybody did. And then he, they said, you went back in there um, 13 times. And then the ghost says there were more than 13 people in that building. Yeah. Oh, man. 
which is I, like that's chilling. chilling. I know. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that. I mean, you know, and the scene is a little bit comedic, especially with them. They're bantering up before about the secret identity stuff, and you know, I just. It's a very strange juxtaposition, but it works. Yeah. It works for this scene. It's like there's banter and then there's this super serious hit you over the head. There were a lot more than 13 people in that building. And it's like you can be in that room. You can be in that room with Lane almost asleep and Kurt barely, barely even whispering it and just feeling that it's not tension, but it's like. That heaviness, like, yeah. and it's something that, like, I think that that's what she's trying to portray Kurt as, a, like, like he knows that he's got to do this. He knows that the stuff that he's already been through, but Blaine doesn't. He has not had to have, you know, this trial and error. And that's something that I think is really fascinating because it's actually, I think, more so going to kind of come up in gray more than this one. But yeah. um, this idea that, you know, Blaine or Kurt has had so much more experience and Blaine is never going to have the same kind of experience because he's always going to have a partner with him. He's always yes. going to have somebody that has showing the ropes or helping him or learning. He doesn't have to go through a lot of the stuff solo the way Kurt did. And that kind of, how do you navigate when somebody has had those experiences and you went around a different way of experiencing things? It's it creates an interesting kind of, I don't want to say tension, but, or even conflict, but it, there's something there, I guess. Yeah. So, um, more so in the middle before just wrapping up, I noticed the paragraph. I'm like, Oh, I should probably bring this up. I do like the Kurt basically says, well, at the very end, he says, this is the closest to a quiet night that he's ever going to get. Um, but in the middle of it, he's like, he says about Kurt, he sighs and he drinks more coffee. Coffee, he decides, is the only real good thing in his life right now. If it wasn't for coffee, he would have nothing left to live for. Well, no, his dad and really good cheesecake, but mostly just coffee. Mm-hmm. So I think that that Kurt who's saying, you know, coffee is the only thing that he lives for and is, you know, and his dad mm-hmm. as an afterthought. Not even Rachel, not even Finn. No. But, you know, oh, yeah. Coffee. But and he really is. Good cheesecake. Right, but he is thinking about Finn. So, like, I don't know. Well, my point is that through the story, there are going to be a lot of things that really, really matter to him. Like, at the end of the story, Kurt is, you know, he's going to think have a whole laundry list of people that mean something to him. Like, if right. this kind of happens again, and there's a repeat, and there's somebody he has to sit with concussed, he would not be thinking about just the coffee that he's drinking. He you know, is Blaine okay? You know, does Rachel make it back? You know, I have to text and make sure, you know, you know, whatever. There are other things. I I don't think, I think that Kurt at the beginning of this story is, is very, very isolated. Yes. And so, and he's not that isolated when That's he gets to the end of the story. Right. So. Very true. Very so, true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also like, there is, I, there is something to be said also that, you know, Blaine's going to fall asleep and Kurt, I suspect is going to, I mean, I know it picks up right from the morning at the next day with Blaine, but, um, in the chapter three, but I bet Kurt spends a lot of time just looking at Blaine and just look, mm-hmm. looking around at his life. Really? I mean, like your life, yeah. this is your life on display, but I'm guessing like, he spent most of that night awake. Yes. Well, he had to, he had to wake up Blaine or yeah, Blaine every half hour. But like, I was thinking about that when I was reading this, like, what 
this is maybe a little too existential for this podcast, but like, what could someone deduce if from just looking at my room? Like, what yeah. in my life could you deduce by just looking at my possessions? And I do think Kurt is observant that way, at least in the story. Yes. I'm, I'm not so sure if he's as <laughs> observant in, <laughs> right. in, in canon, but... Um, he would be observant of Blaine's clothes. But yeah, I, I, and I think that's one thing that I, I do think it's really interesting. I think that I don't know if she meant to do this or not, but I'm going to extrapolate this, that this is a moment for Kurt to really sit back and reflect on his own life, his act like mm-hmm. up until this is your life up to this point, you know, right. You have to start making some decisions and really it's not until later on. And I, believe it's the end of the next chapter when Blaine literally runs into Kurt and his secret identity is now exposed that Kurt has to reevaluate what his life really is. Right. Um, but this is the first time Kurt is kind of, you know, like pushed up against like, Hey, you need to, you know, you've been going and doing the superhero for so long that you are almost fading. You know, your real life has faded into almost just this being the ghost persona you need to take yeah. a step back because you can't do this forever type thing. Right. So, And, you know, every time I read this story, because I am so uh, AU-centric, I guess I should say, I always am like, how would this story have been different if Blaine would have been the one who was on his own first? And I don't know. That's a fascinating conversation. Like, it depends on what point in his life because right. I think still in this one, in, in like in the canon, he's beat up for being gay. And I mm-hmm. believe that still happens in this particular one. And that's why he wanted to be a physical therapist. It does. <laughs> yes. Because he um, really, I, th- I feel like he like really connected with his physical therapist. And that's kind of why he chose that path. I feel like I remember that. Mm-hmm. But anyway. I have to wonder, though, in this story, because I don't know if it's ever really explicitly stated, in the season one and season two of the actual show, Kurt is, um, he reconciles with his dad, he and his dad, even though they are, they care for each other, are very separate people and very different people, and, and season one especially brings them back together, and I'm wondering to an extent, if that didn't really happen in this universe either. Like, yeah. if Kurt and Bert did not have that re- same kind of reconciliation. And yes, obviously his dad is, like, the most important person to him, but I think that... But I think that was true even before everything happened. Right. His dad was but still I, the most important person. Exactly. I'm agreeing right. with you, though. I don't think that happened in this particular version. Where What I was going to say is that Blaine, even though his family life... Blaine in the show, his family life is a mess. And it, I think that, you know, Cooper is a better brother to Blaine in this particular version. So I'm thinking that, you know, had Blaine gone through all of the superhero stuff and decided to be a superhero first, I think he had a better support system going through yes. life. I think he had friends at the school. And even though he was, in, you know, beat up for being gay, he found ways to make sure that he was supported. I'm not saying that Blaine doesn't have his own issues because he definitely does. Right. Um, but I don't think Kurt had that same, you know, mm-hmm. however, you know, Kurt can be independent and self-sufficient in a way that Blaine can't uh, yes. for other various reasons. So that's kind of what I was going to, what I was going for a little bit. Like Kurt can, or 
Kurt works better, not works better, prefers to be on his own. Whereas mm-hmm. Blaine would almost, almost needs a partner. He needs someone right. to bounce off of. So like if you flip the two of them and Blaine is the one going first, I don't think he would have lasted very long without a par- partner. He no, but I'm guessing one. he would have found one. Relatively. That's what I mean. Like he would have yeah. found one. Whereas so. he finds in this story, he like finds Kurt and quote unquote forces him to be, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, I hate. I mean, I would let's try and force is a is a yeah, hard word, that's, that's so I don't want to go there because it is gonna. It does. He, Blaine gets pushy and to a fault, I would say, because of the way she writes it. So mm-hmm. I want to yeah. just be careful when we have that kind of conversation that I, Kurt at any point has the ability to walk away and say no. But I know that like. I understand why you said it and why you said it that way. I just want to make, uh, you know, for future reference going forward, there are a few like, okay, we're going to have to like deconstruct this a little bit to understand author's intent. Um, But, but yeah. All right. Was there anything else that you wanted to No, I think that was about it. Awesome. This is a great chapter. Great conversation. I think we've been, what, two hours now? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Almost. Yeah. Okay, so uh, thank you guys for coming and joining with us and going over um, Chapter 2. Um, if you have any questions about anything, send us mail. Hit us up at TBD because we love hearing from you guys. And I know that we had gotten some fan mail when we previously did this, and we do answer those in future podcasts, but we always like having discussions with you. So send in questions and discussion points, and we'll definitely um, have a conversation about it. Otherwise, we will see you next Sunday, and have a great night. But it's too late, baby, now it's too Now they're okay Only me or my You're the apple of my eye Girl, I never loved one like you Found you hiding here So won't you take my hand, darling There's nothing that can stop you From becoming popular Lar And